0: Greetings and welcome back to the Ideas Podcast. I'm Daniel Lazar. It's my pleasure to be the founder of and the faculty advisor to the John F. Kennedy School's Ideas Club. Thank you for joining our efforts to grapple with tough issues and to promote a challenging marketplace of ideas. If you like what we're pursuing here, we urge you to subscribe to this podcast. We've got a lot of cool plans on the horizon And we want you in the loop. So subscribe. It'll mean a lot to us if you do. And while we're urging you to do stuff, we'd also like to urge you to give a listen to a podcast on our beloved podcast network, Bear Radio. Busy being black with those who have learned and are learning to thrive at the intersections of their identities. And I'm reasonably certain that if you dig the ideas podcast definitely dig Busy Being Black. But before you change the channel and check out Mr. Rivers on Bear Radio, allow me to introduce to you our distinguished panel, 12th grader, Lily Walker. Hi, Lily. How's it going over there?
1: I'm good. How's it going over there?
0: It's going great. I, I kind of miss you. I feel like I haven't seen you in a while. Usually you're all up in my world and it's been it's been some time. It's nice to have you back in my life. And Jacob Reuter, it's nice to have you back in my life too. How's pandemic living?
2: Uh, it's wonderful, yeah. <laughs>
0: it's the best pandemic you've ever lived through. <laughs> yeah. And not to be outdone ever. Hannah Cook, you all right?
3: Yeah, I'm good. How are you?
0: You know, I have to say, uh, this whole digital learning and teaching thing is taking a toll on me sometimes, but I feel so edified to be with you all. Thank you all for just being willing to have these conversations and to do this in this thing we call your free time. We have with us for this episode, a special guest A a long-time listener to the Ideas Podcast, a member of the Ideas Club, and a first-time guest, a 10th grader, a rockin' 10th grader who I met but once but was impressed then as I am impressed now. Lily Smith, welcome to the podcast.
4: Thank you. I'm glad to be on it today.
0: We're glad to have you. So, Jacob, tee us up here. What are we discussing why are we discussing it and how does what we are discussing dovetail with the idea's mission?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, Rush Limbaugh, uh, who was one of the most famous uh, radio show hosts of all time, uh, has died in the past couple days. days. Um, and the reason people are talking about him is because besides being a popular radio show host, he's also known for being kind of an awful person. Um, he leans very far right, which in of itself isn't awful. But some of the views he's expressed and some of the wording that he's used have caused many people to question his moral integrity, to say the least. There's numerous compilations on the Internet you can find of him saying very vulgar, vulgar stuff about people. And I advise you to view them at your own discretion. But what this death has sparked is an Internet discussion on what to do when bad things happen to bad people. And this relates to a, a trend we've seen over the past couple of months with Trump getting COVID um, or Epstein dying, that people don't know how to react when people they fundamentally disagree with suffer and how we can react with empathy. Uh, empathy, of course, being one of the core values of ideas. So that's what we're discussing today, um, how we can approach the suffering of people we consider to be bad people in a moral way.
0: Thanks for setting the table, Jacob. Lily, For the uninitiated, can you just tell us who Rush Limbaugh is and what his significance is in American politics and culture?
1: Uh, Rush Limbaugh is, you know, sort of like Jacob mentioned, a longtime radio host whose supporters call him, you know, controversial but honest, expressing the opinions of the right. To the rest of us, he seems more just like a misogynist, a racist, a homophobe, a bigot all around who had a very large and oftentimes very destructive base in conservative media. He, you know, played an instrumental part in changing the face of American politics over the last few decades and igniting, if you will, the right and inspiring a lot of the current really famous right-wing Influencers, uh, media personalities, as well as giving a voice to their supporters, often really messed up ideas like conspiracy theories and hate and in general, very controversial ideas.
0: So I hope you will all forgive me because I am now going to ask each of you to be publicly honest about your feelings Rush Limbaugh is dead. How does that make you feel? Lily Smith, how does that make you feel?
4: When he died, I his name had been very popular in Western media, and I moved to Berlin earlier this year. So I had been very familiar with um, his rhetoric and just him being a very well-known kind of conservative figure, But I didn't really know the extent of what he'd done during his life and what he'd said while on air and the extent of his radio show until I started listening and doing a little bit of research about him following his death. And I think once I did that research, and even once I immediately heard that he had died, um, already just having the background knowledge that he was an uber kind of conservative figure that perpetuated these racist, you know, misogynistic, um, homophobic, xenophobic, and all the other isms that you can kind of think of, I definitely felt a sense of relief. I wouldn't call it complete schadenfreude. So schadenfreude for any um, English speakers and non-German speakers is kind of this rejoice in um, or this evil joy or this rejoice in the death of someone else or at the expense of someone else and I don't think I felt a full and complete sense of that but I definitely a degree of relief his death means that there's one less person that's kind of perpetuating these very very harmful stereotypes and ideas
0: Hannah Cook tell me about your feelings about the death of Rush Limbaugh?
3: I I, I just, I can't feel joy in someone's death and in someone's suffering. I feel like that's inhumane and I feel like that's not natural to me. So I felt pretty numb. It was impossible for me to mourn his death or feel empathy for him, but I I, I couldn't celebrate. I I guess I would agree with Lily to the point where I was happy about the fact about someone who had these viewpoints not being able to continue to express them, but I would have felt that if he had just stopped being a radio show host or just in general, you know, stopped voicing his opinions, not necessarily through death. (laughs)
0: Lily Walker, your feelings?
1: I wouldn't say I am as untouched as Hannah by feelings of, like, at least relief about his death. I wouldn't say I, like, threw a party mentally or literally because corona. Um, but I totally understand where it comes from. I totally understand where the jokes come from, too. I think he would have done it. That, that, I mean, that makes me almost less susceptible to think that we should do it, though. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I understand it. I don't think I personally feel like I would or should... Celebrate the death of anybody, but I'm not crying over it.
2: Jacob, yeah, I think I I think I agree with those two sentiments. Obviously, when I heard the news, my first uh, thought to my head was because I've I've been familiar with Rush Limbaugh for a while, um, and obviously there was a bit of a bit of schadenfreude present in the first reaction. Now I feel morally neutral about. About his passing, I don't celebrate it, but I do. I cannot mourn him. I cannot bring myself to mourn him. I think he was an abhorrent person, one of the worst bottom feeders of in existence, um, and I, I I have no problem calling him uh, all the insults in the world. But celebrating his death is, I think, a line that I've chosen not to cross, despite there being some temptation there. Uh, my main concern was worry uh, regarding the public response to this. Because I could see two two possibilities where either he becomes a martyr to the right-wing movement, which he already kind of has, or the left-wing movement becomes fragmented over how to react to this as they already uh, sh- sort of have over the uh, Trump getting COVID thing. So those were my main two sort of utilitarian concerns. Um, but besides that, I feel no, I feel no sadness for his passing.
0: Let me inject perhaps an unwelcome dose of complexity into this. I see Rush Limbaugh, who, by the way, had a very profound impact on my development as a political thinker. I was your age when he was at the height of his powers. I see Rush Limbaugh as this terribly tragic figure who suffered through most of his life. He suffered from... Obesity. He suffered from alcoholism. He suffered from drug addiction. He was a prescription pill addict in and out of um, clinics very publicly. A guy who, you know, made quite a lot of bank over making fun of victims of addiction, particularly crack addiction in the 1980s. He was very much an addict. Uh, He was obviously high on his own power. He had uh, a handful of divorces. I think that's true. And he suffered from real relationship trauma. I see Rush Limbaugh as a big old ball of pain and suffering. I feel so bad for Rush Limbaugh. I feel worse for what Rush Limbaugh hath wrought. And the only relief I feel is that he doesn't have to have any pain anymore. You know, for every one Rush Limbaugh, there's thousands of aspiring Rush Limbaughs. Nothing ended with the life of Rush Limbaugh. And I say that to ask this is that a foolish, neutral position to stake out on Rush Limbaugh just feeling bad for? how he's obviously such a suffering person.
1: I mean, that does suck. I don't know the man. There are a lot of people who suffer. Most people suffer through bad things in their lives and don't end up like him. Some do. I don't think the pain you've gone through justifies the pain you inflict upon others. I just don't believe that fundamentally, and it doesn't provide an out for me. I don't know how much like empirical evidence I can use to support that. I just don't think that's how it works. I don't think that's how morals work.
3: I agree with that, but that's why I do think it's okay to feel some sort of relief in him not feeling pain anymore because you kind of separate the person and their beliefs from their suffering. I think no one deserves or no one should suffer from alcoholism and from cancer no matter how terrible they are. I just, I don't think I would wish that upon anyone. So I think it's okay to feel that while still disagreeing with them as a person. I agree with that. You can't use that pain to justify any of the viewpoints. Sometimes they add complexity, like you said, and maybe some context that should be considered when thinking of the person as a whole. But in this case, I think a lot of the opinions voiced by Rush Limbaugh were not necessarily a consequence of his pain always.
2: Yeah, I agree. And I would sort of add to that, if we want to make it rhetorical, uh, I would ask the question, you know, who really suffers in his life? Michael J. Fox, an actor who has Parkinson's disease, and Rush Limbaugh decided to make fun of him publicly on his show and imply that he was faking it for a commercial. And I say, whilst two wrongs don't make a right, I, that is something I have to take into consideration. I know for a fact that if someone on the left had died, Rush Limbaugh would not be extending an olive branch, mourning their laws, uh, or even feeling any sort of empathy towards them, which is why I say I stay sort of neutral on, on the topic of, of mourning him. Um, I can't bring myself to mourn him. He was, in my moral book, an awful person, um, not just because I disagreed with him, but because I fundamentally cannot empathize with the morals he had, which led him partially to the positions that he held publicly. But this goes way beyond politics. This goes about uh, someone who I think is genuinely morally destitute.
4: I think that the question at the heart of what we're talking about right now is, to what extent do you feel compassion or rejoice in the death of someone who you fundamentally believe as a bad person and for me while I did feel a little bit of relief I don't think that his his experience in life um, struggling with alcoholism and drug addiction I don't think it justifies his actions towards harming other people but It does explain why he may do and why he may engage in some of those actions. And under no circumstances should those actions be excused, but I can absolutely see where Mr. Lazar was coming from and having compassion or empathy for someone whom you believe is not a good person. And where does that leave you at the end of it?
1: You know, what I sort of maybe didn't get to when I was talking was, like, I mean, in general, obviously, I don't think that suffering is good for anybody. And I wouldn't wish anyone to die of cancer. I think I said that. But, like, I don't feel that I owe Rush Limbaugh anything. It's pretty much that simple for me.
0: You, Liliana Walker, do not owe Rush Limbaugh anything. And I know we can all agree on that. I wonder what we owe ourselves vis-a-vis mourning, vis-a-vis empathy. There are those who rejoice in the death of Rush Limbaugh. I wonder if we think that is undignified and stooping to his level.
2: I I think there's two sides to this coin. I think there's a public side and a private side. I think if you privately believe that Rush Limbaugh deserved to die, or you privately celebrate in the sense that not like you have a one-man party, I mean, like in your head, like you, you feel joy at the fact that Rush Limbaugh died. While I think... I would try to distance myself from that personally. I think that is far more excusable than using a public platform to say stuff like that. But there's been a lot of very, very prominent left-wing personalities on the internet basically rejoicing at the death of Rush Limbaugh. And I think that is, while not necessarily swooping down all the way to his level because that is a pretty low level to get to, it is headed in that direction and that's not something I want for two reasons. One, because I think it's morally not okay. I think uh, having people sort of publicly rally around someone's death, I think that's something I would like not like to associate myself with. And for two, because I think it makes really, really bad politics, because it's really bad in a utilitarian sense. For us to take, the, us, I say us, I mean like broader leftist leaning people, people who oppose Limbaugh. It's much harder for us to take the moral high ground when we're doing the same things that we're accusing him of doing. And I think if we want, we want to look at it from like a, a utilitarian approach for our political movement, then we need to not react with empathy, but at least recognize that we can. there are ways to address this without mocking it or without enjoying it publicly. right?
0: I'm really grateful that you are all bifurcating this argument in the public and the private. Let's talk about the public problem that you all pose. Is anybody here of the position— that a public rejoicing over the death of Rush Limbaugh can serve a positive function by galvanizing the enemies of Limbaugh, us, and by creating energy out of his death. Is anybody here of the opinion that it is politically prudent to celebrate publicly the death of Limbaugh. Okay, nobody. It does beg the question why it's happening then. So before I ask you my question about private celebrations or private rejoicing in his death, why do you think that so many of the journalists and commentators and Twitteratis that we respect and enjoy are taking this moment to rejoice in the death of Rush Limbaugh.
3: Well, I think Jacob kind of touched upon this in the beginning, that for a lot of people, there's a temptation to rejoice in someone who was a terrible person and who, um, opposed your viewpoints and probably would have you know been a terrible person to you as an individual there's a temptation and wanting to rejoice in that and feeling relief and feeling happiness about it but I think people individually need to decide if that's a line they want to cross and partially stoop down a bit or if they want to take the Michelle Obama the killing them with kindness you know when they go low we go high road and so I think that's different for each individual and I think each individual has a different relationship I don't have a close relationship to Limbaugh because I didn't follow him a lot. But I think if you're someone that was influenced a lot by him, or like Mr. Lazar, you saw, you know, him at his height of his career, I think you have a different relationship to him, which might be a little bit more strenuous.
2: Yeah, I want to also add to that. I think one thing that we're underestimating is just how good it feels to like, stoop down to that moral level and just say, you know, one of our biggest enemies has just fallen. This is a win for us. And you can see it when, uh, when Chenk Uygur, I, I'm mispronouncing that name, from the Young Turks, uh, someone who I have a decent amount of respect for is like ranting 20 minutes about like how this is a win for us. You can see it in his eyes that he's enjoying it. And I understand that. So I completely understand the temptation there. I have it myself. It would just feel good to have like a an objective win for once. But I think morally, as well as in a... Uh, in like a politically, in a politically strategic sense, it's probably not for the best. But the temptation is there, and the joy that one feels from really inga- like indulging in in that Schadenfreude, it, it is there. That's why it's called Schadenfreude, because you do get a joy from it. By the way, that definitely has an effect on the listeners as well, which is why public people do it. People who listen to that, who agree with that, also feel that joy, and they rally around it. It's uh, almost like nationalism, where they, they feel like they finally have something to sort of, you know, like, we win, we, we've we got this, we take this guy down, but I still don't think it's effective.
3: Yeah, adding on to that again, I think there's some satisfaction that comes from, like, figuratively punching your bullies or being able to defeat them and, like Jacob said, stooping down to their level for once, allowing yourself to put your moral your morals aside and just... Kind of expressing your raw emotions.
0: Thank you for saying that, Hannah Cook, because that gets us neatly into that second part of the question I wanted to ask you all. First, I'll say part of the reason that people publicly punch is because they get clicks and likes and attention for doing it. If there's anything that the dude from the Young Turks likes, it's clicks and likes and subscribe buttons. But that said, I think there's a cost. I'm going to argue here and I want you all to tell me if this argument is bunk, that there's a psychological and emotional toll that it takes on us when we privately even rejoice in the suffering of others. Because in the end, we have to look in the mirror and realize that that is who we are. It makes us no bigger or no better than the Rush Limbaugh's of the world when we rejoice at the suffering of others. Rush Limbaugh made a career at rejoicing at and celebrating the suffering of others, of inflicting pain and celebrating. I want to posit that there's a psychological toll we pay for even privately, quietly Rejoicing in the pain and suffering of others. But I also want someone to tell me I'm wrong. How do we all feel about this position I'm positing?
4: I think what you're referring to and what you're kind of touching upon here is this psychological theory of cognitive dissonance cognitive dissonance refers to a situation or a set of values beliefs attitudes behaviors etc that are contradictory to other ones or to themselves and this can lead to a type of mental or psychological discomfort or toll and i think that if we publicly do not rejoice in limbaugh's death but privately rejoice in limbaugh's death i think That represents a type of cognitive dissonance because rejoicing in the death and having this type of schadenfreude, this malicious joy, is not necessarily a natural feeling or emotion. And while one may be condemning it in public, they're actually celebrating it in private, which is what cognitive dissonance is that has a psychological toll.
0: It's a splendid point. Jacob, Hannah, would you like to react to that robust point?
3: I think I'm conflicted in this because in one sense, I understand why people feel guilt when they um, experience Schadenfreude. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing because I believe that we should move away from this an I for an I sentiment that's, you know, toxic and outdated. I think society has evolved or I would like to believe that, you know, society has evolved past that. Or some people have at least. But I also acknowledge <laughs> that it's a coping mechanism for people who are not as impervious to what Rush Limbaugh said. Just listening to that one segment where he talked about a female college student wanting birth control to be covered and then basically calling her a slut and saying, you know, if you want that, then we need to see something from you and we need to, you know, that was just so downright disgusting. And I think some people aren't as impervious to that and some people take that a lot more personally, especially when, you know, he says homophobic and racist and xenophobic things. So that's why I think you need to understand that some people cope this way by feeling now that they can actually be themselves more or feel more comfortable with someone who made them put them down so much no longer being in this world and who can no longer do that to them
0: well hannah cook since you're getting biblical by bringing up an eye for an eye i'm going to stay on the biblical thing love thy enemy if the e in ideas stands for empathy and if at the root of empathy is this slippery thing called love do we have to love rush limbaugh
4: no absolutely not i i think that if we want to say we have to love rush limbaugh in order to fully represent the ideals of empathy I think that's very unrealistic, especially because politically we're so polarized and we can't have a conversation without politics because it is so personal, because it is embedded into our identities, because when Rush Limbaugh makes comments like it's preposterous that Caucasians are blamed for slavery, and, and that is a real quote that he said on air, It's impossible to separate yourself or at least very, very challenging to separate yourself and to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to have empathy and love for someone that goes against everything that I believe in, everything that I stand for or that my culture believes in. I think that's really unrealistic.
0: But is it desirable? I agree that it's really hard. It might even be unrealistic. But do you believe, like Dr. King and Gandhi, believe that at the core of the solution to the problems you're discussing is love and empathy?
3: I I would agree with that. I think there's room to be critical of someone and disagree, but still appreciate. Maybe the wrong word, but just as as a mid mensch, like as a human to human, I think there's some sort of connection, some sort of understanding in our joint, this is getting really like biblical and philosophical, which is not my intention, but like in our joint existence. So I, I would agree, I would think it's desirable. Like with me adding that I still think you should be able to disagree with someone obviously and criticize them.
1: I don't love Rush Limbaugh and I don't wish I did. I think there's a difference between loving like strangers who you disagree with and thinking that they deserve basic like human empathy. I feel like that's that's pretty clear to me. And if we're defining love as having, you know, basic respect for them as a person and treating them as a person and having empathy for them, then yes. But, like, having a personal caring for Rush Limbaugh, it, it, I don't think that there's a moral responsibility to do that, you know, in this case.
2: Somehow, I think I agree with everyone, even though that might seem incompatible. I think... I agree with both lilies. Um, it's basically impossible to love Rush Limbaugh, but I don't think that should like determine whether or not we aim for it. I mean, they're called moral ideals for a reason. It's because they're ideals because they're unreachable. However, I do think we should be trying to go down the trajectory of empathy, while recognizing that that is something that most of us are not capable of doing, and that that's okay. Like most of us, including myself, have a really, really hard time empathizing with someone as awful as rush limbaugh but i think generally thinking that that's like sort of to to have that as an ideal to have like empathy as one of our main guiding forces in life i think is fundamentally a good thing even when we're talking about awful awful people empathy just means like i understand that this is a bad thing and you know i I wouldn't want it to happen to me so i don't want it to happen to you
0: i have a dear friend of many decades who is a therapist and for a long time, her work was with sex offenders. And she and I somewhat recently had a long and beautiful and difficult conversation and she was reflecting on her work. And what she said to me was that to meet those people where they are, to meet sex offenders where they are, to help them, to rehabilitate them, required her to find empathy for them. These are people who have done unspeakable things. And in order for her to have empathy for them, she needed to love them. She needed to be able to love them, to have empathy for them. She needed to be able to have empathy with them so that she could help to heal them. And she needed to help to heal them so that she could feel like a whole person. Though she is a saint in my eyes, she is but a person. And so I ask again, without diving into an operational definition of love, and without stretching the definition of empathy too far. For us to really represent the better angels of our nature, is it necessary for us to find love and empathy for Rush Limbaugh, for Jeffrey Epstein, for Donald Trump, for people who we find to be rotten to the core and nefarious in their actions?
1: I just feel like you can say they deserve empathy, they deserve freedom they deserve health care they deserve happiness i suppose without saying you love them i i don't think for me that those things are dependent on whether i personally like them or love them i maybe we just think of the definition differently
3: yeah i i would agree with lily i think you know treating them as human beings and having basic respect for them to the point where you know you want them to Like I said, be happy and, you know, enjoy the freedoms that you have yourself, even though sometimes maybe they um, violate those freedoms with their rhetoric. I think that you don't have to appreciate them. And I don't think you have to love them. I think there has to be a mutual understanding. I don't think you need to love someone to have empathy for them. I think you just need to have, again, this human-to-human understanding between each other that doesn't have to be as deep as love.
0: Cool. So I know that there's nobody here who really loves Donald Trump, but I do know that you all wanted to talk a bit about Donald Trump. Not so long ago, we had learned that Donald Trump contracted COVID. I remember the morning it was in the news being on the train with my daughter and, and, and her friend and her friend's dad, and her dad was truly uh, ecstatic that Trump had COVID. I mean, it's like I could see the smile on his face behind his mask. Like you could see his eyes smiling and he was loving it. It was the comeuppance. Justice was served. Donald Trump is suffering from COVID. I know y'all wanted to talk about it. So talk about it. What are your thoughts about that type of celebration?
1: Rush Limbaugh had lung cancer, which he couldn't do anything about, obviously, and which is clearly a very painful way to die. And, you know, I think that contributes to the empathy that we all have for him. Whereas Trump, I think it's pretty basic to acknowledge he got himself COVID. He did not follow the corona regulations, which his own country worth promoting um he knew the risks probably better than almost any american and chose as an adult with free will and no reason he needed to, to to go and attend social events and spread covid around and then he got it i feel like it's it's more like justice to me he did it to himself he did it to a lot of other people too by extension I mean, didn't he kind of deserve it?
3: Sometimes I might hide my schadenfreude under this whole thing of like karmic retribution, right? Being like, like you reap what you sow, they got what they deserved. He didn't follow the corona guidelines, so he got it. But I also kind of hate myself because I genuinely felt concern for Donald Trump, which is a terrible thing. But I felt concern when he got COVID because this might just come from someone who's had COVID, but I just didn't want anyone to have to go through it. Even, like, even if they're the worst person alive. So that was really hard for me because I didn't know if I should feel ashamed for feeling concerned for Donald Trump. But I also didn't want to feel happy. And so it was a really difficult, like it was a really kind of like I was torn between feeling nothing, feeling happy, and feeling actually sad.
1: I have long maintained that Hannah is just a better person than me. I feel like everything we've said today confirms that. And while I think she's probably right, I'm not going to say that I feel any differently.
0: Liliana Walker, I want to tell you that we have all been saying that for so long that it's nice to hear you uh, sort of own that. Lily Smith?
4: I wanted to add something to what Liliana Walker and Hannah Cook said. So for me... Um, when I found out that Trump had COVID, I don't exactly remember where I was or when, but I do remember uh, a good amount of my friends were, um, I don't know if happy is the right word, but they were definitely like having some sort of like relief or feeling some level of that. Um, and I remember feeling a bit, definitely relief and I laughed because I thought it was almost funny in terms of that karmic retribution idea. There was a moment where I definitely felt happy because this is someone that I don't agree with and perpetuates these very, very harmful things that have these racist, sexist, I could continue to name them, kind of ideas that have really undermined the democracy in the United States, and the democracy that, to begin with, has always been fractured. But I realized, after immediately feeling that, that I don't hate Trump, and I don't like to use language that dehumanizes anyone, and in particular if it's people that I don't agree with or believe are not necessarily good people.
2: I feel more or I felt more empathy for Donald Trump than I did for Bolsonaro, um, which reinforces my idea that I do have some sort of like moral register that goes beyond just "he's a human life and they're valuable, blah, blah. I also think that there's a big difference between him getting COVID and dying from COVID. Him getting COVID could be justified more like enjoying that could be justified morally by saying, well, you know, if it scares him um, or gives him the shock of realizing he needs to take more concrete action to protect his people from this virus, then maybe this can overall be a good thing. That's sort of how I rationalize it. I still don't enjoy it when people celebrate him getting COVID. But I do think that, you know, if we want to look at it from like a from like a utilitarian approach, there is more of an argument to be made that Trump getting COVID could actually end up in, like, could end up benefiting more people. But that's a far cry from wishing death upon him. And that's a far cry from enjoying his suffering. So I, I agree with Hannah on that one.
0: Well, I would hate for us to seek to capitalize on the suffering and death of others to advance our agenda. But I will take this moment in our conversation to advance us towards the conclusion of our podcast by giving each of you, in turn, the opportunity to endorse things that somehow speak to the ideas mission that you have been reading, listening to, watching, or otherwise meditating on. So each of you one at a time, starting with our guest, Lily Smith, can you give us something that we can get our hands on or lay our eyes on in the throes of a pandemic that speaks to our mission? Lily Smith, you are awesome, on the podcast. Thank you so much. What a treasure you are. What do you endorse?
4: Thank you, Mr. Lazar, um, for those kind words. I really believe in the value of listening and understanding and empathizing with opinions and beliefs that are not your own. And so I wanted to um, endorse this website that publishes articles by um, a whole range of different authors, and they're usually more scholarly articles, but they're very um, reputable and credible. This is called Medium, and I found it really interesting to learn about a whole range of different things and a whole range of opinions that I wouldn't have considered. And then I also wanted to endorse this... um, YouTube series called Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man, hosted by Emmanuel Ocho. And this is primarily aimed toward white people educating themselves about race and about white privilege and how to be a part of the solution versus a part of the problem and really reconciling with being white and how to move forward and have really good conversations.
0: Thank you, Lily Smith, both for your splendid contributions to this episode and for your two endorsements. We'll link to them in the show notes to illustrate that there cannot be enough awesome lilies in the world. Liliana Walker.
1: I am going to do another Netflix series as per usual, because that is a large part of what I do with my time. So this week we're swinging into something my dad showed me that I ended up enjoying. It was called Bobby Kennedy for President on Netflix, and it was a mini series about the presidential race and then assassination of Bobby Kennedy, which is a moment in American history which I didn't recognize as, Im- which I didn't recognize to be as important as it was because it was not as much something that happened as a big missed opportunity, which changed a lot of things. And I just found that really interesting and a part of history that I had missed and maybe would be valuable for other people to hear about too. So yeah, Bobby Kennedy for president on Netflix.
0: Quick question, Lily Walker. Is this the second or the third time that we have realized through your endorsements that your U.S. history teacher was a total no-good Nick who left out substantial important chapters of 20th century history. I believe this is the third time someone should email that teacher.
1: To be fair, Corona, we did not get (laughs) to Nixon. So, you know, how can we blame you?
0: Corona saved you from Nixon. I'm not going to regret this one bit. Speaking of Nixon and Nixonites... Jacob Reuter, what is your endorsement?
2: Yeah, all right. This uh, this time I have an endorsement I think uh, Mr. Lazar will enjoy very, very much. It's an album, and it's the album Wrecking Ball by uh, Bruce Springsteen. It's from 2012. It's super relevant again with everything that's going on in politics. Springsteen is sort of in the public eye again due to his uh, connection to Joe Biden um, and I think it's it's not only great music, but also the way it engages with America is wonderful. And I picked this album specifically because I think it has some uh, politically relevant topics. But also, I have a personal connection to it because it was one of the first albums I listened to. So I highly recommend anyone who hasn't, check that out. I really
0: like that album. And we will link to it in the show notes. Hannah Cook!
3: Okay, these are tough acts to follow. Um, My endorsement is the New York Times piece um kind of in line with what we're talking about on how to be more empathetic by claire kane miller and um it gives a variety of different opportunities and ways to engage um with empathy and how to strengthen and kind of practice i guess being more empathetic because i think we've come to the conclusion that that is desirable for society
0: thank you hannah cook Lily Walker and Jacob Reuter. Hannah Cook, it is always such a pleasure. I am always, and I mean this, moved and inspired by you all. And Lily Smith, what a maiden voyage. Unbelievable. We are going to try to keep you on board, Lily Smith. Don't let us lose you. This was an absolute delight. Listeners, you can find us for now at... JFK's ideas at wixsite.com. If you want to read our journals, we do have a journal on socioeconomic status coming out very soon. And we'll have some podcasts to dovetail with that journal. I know the journal is going to be amazing. And of course, the podcasts will as well. How could they not be? And we ask you once again to please subscribe, leave a like, offer a comment. And for heaven's sake, If you like what you're listening to, if you think we're adding something substantial to the marketplace of ideas, please share this podcast with your people. Lily and Lily, Jacob and Hannah, thank you so much. We'll see you later. Bye.